and welcome to a special edition of Text Talks The Look Back, where I take a moment to reflect upon the season that was, and you get a chance to catch up on bits that you may have missed over the course of this season's episodes. So we're officially halfway through the year, and I feel like we've returned to our post-pandemic habits in a couple of ways. But most importantly, we're back in the swing of things when it comes to gigs. Our one producer, Matthew Lewitz, launched his event series called Kindred, and our other producer, Jonathan Ings, relaunched the old Fugard Theatre as an event space now known as the HCC or Homecoming Center. And I've been organizing gigs all over the country for Jim Beam that showcase alternative bands. But we've also been working on season 10 and season 11 of Text Talks because you guessed it, <laughs> we don't sleep here. <laughs> and that little bit of stability I was craving when I recorded the season eight look back, I've definitely gotten that going into the colder months and moving into the third quarter of the year. Can you believe it, the third quarter? So now, if you're new to the concept of a Text Talks look back, what we do before we move forward is we like to look back at the season that was. And picking my top five moments from across this season was super smooth, mainly because it was a short season, but mostly because each and every conversation sticks out in my head like a sore thumb. But I'm sure you're dying to know what I picked. So now, let's look back. When you talk about South African punk, you talk about two bands, Fuzzy Gish and Hog Hoggity Hog. And my chat with Jay Bones from Fuzzy in the lead up to their six album drop was inevitably going to fall on the Hogs and George Bacon. And his anecdote about meeting George and his relationship with the band as a whole is a heartwarming one. Let's take a listen. We have history. We had our, I mean, our histories are intertwined and like, yeah, I mean, I remember I went down to uh, live in Cape Town for a bit, uh, almost before we recorded even with Fuzzy, and I was driving around, and then this guy came up to me, hey, what you listening to, you know? And then later on, I found that was George. So that's I got to know him before even uh, he was there. I went and took some photographs of the Hogs playing at, I'm trying to think of the spot now, man. It was like, uh, it'll come back to me. But yeah, I've got a whole lot of photos of them playing. So I was like interested. There was, um, they were like wondering what's happening up in Joburg, where, you know, what's happening in Cape Town. We were almost like uh, um, the same on either side, you know, like mm. the same. Yeah, we kind of really um, got along well, uh, drove each other crazy, got along well. Uh, but we played so many shows together and we, yeah, we were important for each other. And and they were like these, uh, the you know they were <laughs> they were always one level above you know when it came to the party or the the antics or whatever. <laughs> so always funny. naked. Yeah, always naked. I remember <laughs> we were like you know these wow, this naked and just like taking it like wow, wow, this is crazy. But um, yeah, we hooked up a bunch of shows for them up in Joburg uh, or around here. They did the same for us, and. Um, they had it uh, was interesting because they had this interesting relationship with this other band down there called Nishama, which Nishama were like a very kind of this wholesome kind of hardcore Christian band or something. And then the Hogs are this chaotic kind of, you know, kind of anarchist, whatever, uh, yeah. punk band. But they kind of used to organize shows together and do stuff together, but they kind of couldn't really see eye to eye. But they still had this kind of, it was a really strange, interesting scene. And, um, it was it was like uh, I think our first show was uh, coming down to Cape Town. I remember uh, was at the Purple Turtle, 
and yeah, we never played. And then people were singing along to the songs that I realized, oh man, doing, making that recording was a good thing, you know? <laughs> but yeah, the hogs, I mean, yeah, I could say like they're definitely part of, part of us. Uh, it's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah. Family, it's family. Yeah. R.I.P. George Bacon, one of mm. the best in the game. Gigi LeMaine is probably one of the most eloquent guests I've ever had on Text Talks. This is a woman who knows what she wants and where she's going, and she has manifested all of it, which is super inspiring. But her explanation of the woman that she is after she went on her journey to become a Sangoma is something that stands out in my mind. Let's take a listen. Unrelated yeah. to COVID, you disappeared off the grid in 2020 for a couple of months to go on a spiritual journey and answer your calling to become a healer. And I understand that this is sacred and you can't speak about what happened while you were off on your journey. But how do you feel about the person who you are now versus the person you were before you went on this journey? Like, do you feel like there's been a significant change in you at all? Uh, absolutely. I think I am more conscious of who I am. And, you know, the journey's not, it, it's very much about yourself, you know. Um, and there were a lot of things I was struggling with before, you know, just the pressures of being who you are. Um, I'm somebody who never really um, appreciates what I do for myself. Like, nothing is ever enough. Um, and, 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 I'm glad that I could go into a space where I was completely isolated from people and, you know, meditation was the focus, healing was the focus, connecting with your higher being was the focus. Um, and I came back very different. I, there were more challenges when I got back because now you've almost got this different mindset and state of mind. But I will say that, it, like, I came back uh, more grounded and more appreciating of the person the people around me um you know and, and and what i was doing for for me um i think you know the journey teaches you a lot about how you can't control your environment but you can definitely control you know what you surround yourself with and it, it found me you know chopping and changing a lot of things um including the the company i had around me um the the, the 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 lifestyle the food i was eating i'm sure everyone can see there was like a miraculous shift you know in my in my body and the way it looked and now i'm feeling more confident and that all came from you know disappearing for a bit and really connecting you know my spiritual with you know my physical my emotional my mental um and it's a work in progress every day but it was simply the manuscript during that time that i needed to be given and that i needed to be taught and now i'm back in the real world feeling great My interview with Ready D clocks in at one hour <laughs> and 12 minutes, and it honestly felt like I'd been talking to him for 15 minutes. The time flew by because A, he's got a really calm, soothing voice, and B, his stories are the stuff of historical legend. But my favorite moment was when he told me about how they were invited to play Madiba's inauguration, but then they almost lost that gig. Make yourself a cup of tea and let's take a listen. But then you temporarily lost that gig as well. What what actually happened there? Yeah, that, that was quite crazy though. You know, but it didn't 
surprised me when I sat back and started to reflect on what actually happened. So with Madiba coming out of um, prison, we were then on our voter education tour. We toured the whole mm-hmm. country. We had music produced specifically for the show that um, teaches people how to vote and also explaining why they should vote. So on the store, we had like a mock voting booth and all these things, and we would line up the community that came to the shows. You know, we would take him through the motions and all of this. And during that time, we get this opportunity to record in Baputuswana at Bob Studios. This was like, I think it was um, full-on digital 24-track SSL with the best um, multi-track recorders, and it's got all the bells and whistles, and these are the things that at that time any and every single musician would want to go to Bob Studios, if it's not Bob, anywhere in the world, to record in a studio like that. But it was cultural boycotts. Many bands from abroad would actually fly in under the radar and record at Bob Studios because of the politics of the day. Anyway, cut a long story short, we end up in Bob Studios and now we're busy working on our third album, The Age of Truth. So with um, uh, Dala Flat and Owl being released, that happened. The second album, things became more intense in the country. Then we had our first um, video censored and partly banned, and then we had a song called um, On Stem, banned on our second album, Boom Style. By the time that we got to the third album, we know South Africa was in total chaos. South Africa was a mess. 30 people dead. More than a thousand have now been killed in political violence since the date was set for the country's first democratic elections in April next year. ITN's Africa correspondent Jeremy Thompson reports. It's the most violent township in the world's most violent country. In Tokoza, everyone's on a war footing. Police armoured trucks patrol streets of empty, gutted houses, daubed with the slogans of the ANC and their arch-rivals in Carter. The country was burning, people were being assassinated, Madiba have come out of prison, the National Party is trying to hold on to the last bit of power, especially out in the Western Cape, and having a coloured, so-called coloured hip-hop band from Cape Town, the Western Cape, telling the world that they are pro-black and that they are black, that didn't sit well with him. We ended up in a huge pickle. Anyway, we're in Bob Studios recording the album The Age of Truth. Then on the news, while we're sitting in the studio, Chris Hani is assassinated. We wrote about that immediately. So the album was extremely political. The album was, um, I would say, very open, blatant and explicit in terms of how we felt about the situation and the music was raw, it was energetic. To a certain point, there was chaos, and there was all these things that kind of reflected how we felt about what was going on in the country at the time. So we record this um, this one song, I think it was a song called Blood, Bullets and Pigs or something, and Shaheen says something, I think he said, fuck Mongopi, even if we record here in Bob Studios. So one of the studio engineers heard that line. This guy freaked out. He sure. freaked. 
dragged us into the office, swearing, losing his mind. He was a white engineer, awesome guy, mm-hmm. really, really awesome guy. He's like, are you guys effing stupid? You know what could effing happen in here if the word got out that you guys are saying things like this? We can all be assassinated. You sure. Know, Bukutu Swana. Bukutu, Bukutu Swana was a puppet state, remember? So, mm, Robert, mm-hmm. um, um, I think it was Mangopi or something. He was the so-called president of this puppet state. So, um, I mean... Him feeling that way, I think it was fair and rightfully so. But we, on the other end, we were political activists, rebels, and we <laughs> felt the oppression. And we were on the front lines. And now you got these two worlds colliding in a very um, hostile space. Yeah. Because the studios were guarded by Mongopi soldiers as well. Oh, my. So if anything had leaked, <laughs> I don't know, you could have probably had prophets of the city with the engineer in prison or prophets of the city being assassinated or bodies burnt or dumped somewhere in the country. That is just how it went at the time, you know, with assassinations and all these things. Anyway, we managed to smuggle out the, um, the masters of that album. Word got out of this political album that's coming. And about a week or two later, we were scheduled to perform at um, Nelson Mandela's inauguration. The minute the word got out, that's it. You guys are not getting onto the stage. You're not performing. That was the feedback we got. Then Lance Stirl, manager, he put up the biggest fight. And he was fighting tooth and nail, tooth and nail, tooth and nail for us to get um, you know, onto that stage with Madiba's inauguration. We end up at the union buildings. They're like, okay, cool, you guys can perform, but you're not allowed to come up here with your decks and actually perform your music. So they thought they're going to throw us a curveball and uh, make us do a U-turn and say, okay, cool, fine. But they didn't realize that we actually had a guy that can make music with his mouth. And that's how we ended up doing our performance at the union buildings with Jasmo beatboxing. And the show went on. <laughs> when a Grammy award-winning soul superstar comes knocking at your podcast door, you got to answer. So when the opportunity presented itself to interview PJ Morton in light of his latest album release, I had no choice but to grab it with both hands. And my favorite moment is when he talks about how he found a perfect synergy between his solo career and being a member of Maroon 5. Let's take a listen. Moves Like Jagger is uh, (laughs) my drunk karaoke song, A, but also B... Um, <laughs> a friend of mine who now uh, lives in South Korea. He's teaching English. Um, uh, he's been there for about three and a half years. Whenever I hear that song on radio or anywhere, I have to stop and take a voice note and then send it to him. That's that's our track. I think a lot of Jägermeisters were oh, had to it. that track. <laughs> but <laughs> nice. But, you joined just before they dropped moves like Jagger and, and then obviously, like you said, the band explodes on a global level and yeah. takes you to all of these places and you're in full tour mode. But what happens to your band at this point? Yeah, I mean, we kind of disband. Again, like there it was a lot of uncertainty, so um, I didn't want to hold my guys up. And um, I remember uh, Bruno Mars was opening up for Maroon 5 uh like 
wow. a few shows while we were on tour. And uh, he started to blow up so quick that he left uh, after three shows of that tour, I remember. <laughs> and 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 he asked me if I knew any horn players, uh, <laughs> you know, like young guys who could dance. And I'm like, man, well, my guys aren't working right now because I'm here. And, um, and so those are the guys... That's his horn players that's been with him as long as I've been in Maroon 5, the hooligans. Incredible. And so it's kind of like crazy. It, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, but that that's kind of like been the, the the journey, like, you know, seeing this. And so it was on pause. And um, but then after a while, I started feeling maybe after a few years, I started feeling like, all right, I want to say something. And then that's when I started to pursu- pursue the deal with Young Money. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first deal I did uh, since w- when I joined the band, and uh, and that yeah that was that was the record I was going for. I had Adam Levine on it, had Stevie Wonder on it, had Busta Rhymes on it. Uh, but that's when I started to kind of figure out that uh, maybe I can do both of these. Mm-hmm. And um, after that album release, they even allowed me to do double duty. So I would open up the tour as, as PJ Morton. And then I remember Kelly Clarkson and then I would close as Maroon five. And then in Europe, we did the same thing. I opened as PJ, um, Robin Thicke and then closed as Maroon five. So the guys have always been very supportive and kind of allowed me to, to be both people. Last, but certainly not least. DJ Lag, the elusive <laughs> DJ Lag. We finally got him on the show. Finally. And you know, DJ Lag has been called a lot of things, mainly a com pioneer. But I really loved his explanation of why he experimented with a genre that he essentially laid the foundations for on his new album. Let's take a listen. The focal point around meeting with the king, well, one of the focal points at least, has been the fact that you slowed down your BPM, right, on a few of the tracks. People have been talking about this a lot. Like the word pioneer is thrown around a lot in reference to you when it comes to Kom. So now you're messing with the genre, (laughs) quote unquote, messing with the genre that you, (laughs) you know, helped invent. So why the decision to take it down and make it slow? Because you took it down, what, like, I think it was like 10, 10, 10 BPMs, maybe 10, 15? Yeah, it was, it was, it, yeah, it was 127. Now I'm moving like 120 and 124. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I turned it down because um, with what's happening now with the Mapiano, there's like new dance moves who are, which are slower for my piano and sometimes it's hard to do those dance moves on a palm track mm-hmm. and with the style that i'm doing now you can you can be able to do both you know and you can also do you can also fuse my piano and palm, um with 120 or 120. also wanted to be to make it easy for my piano arts to do more collaboration with uh, my piano artists and I was able to do that to uh, Jazik and um, Lady Do and I'm also working on something with Viker Deep. 
And just like that, season nine is over. A huge shout out to you for making this one of our best seasons yet in terms of downloads. And you don't have to wait long for another episode because season 10 kicks off on the 18th of July. And I am dying to tell you what we have up our sleeve for that. In the meantime, head on over to texttalks.com and catch up on all our previous episodes. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Pods, or wherever you catch your podcasts. And remember, that's text with a double X. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Text Talks. A huge shout out to Tom's, the only music store for always having our backs technically. Remember to follow Text Talks on all socials and subscribe and rate on whatever platforms you stream your podcasts on. Head on over to texttalks.com for all our previous episodes. And remember, that's Tex with a double X. From me, your host, Tex, producers Jonathan Ings and Matthew Lewitz, and research and associate producer Al Clapper. Catch you on the flip side. <laughs>